0: I don't Sorry. know if I could do the centipede chair. That might be where I draw the line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they describe all the cilia from the centipede and it goes into you so that you can be really, really. <laughs> <indoors. Yeah. laughs> Did I not mention that earlier? Okay. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly
2: podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional from the Port Moody Public Library. I am Virginia and I am here with Gabriel and Corrine. Hello. Hello book friends from the library. So May is Asian Heritage Month in Canada. So we want to take this opportunity to highlight some of our favorite books from authors of Asian descent. Now, I'm sure you have listened to Keep It Fictional for a while. You know that doesn't matter whether it is May or not, you know, throughout the year, we always try to represent the different voices that are out there. And it's great to have these day-long, month-long, week-long celebrations for us to do something extra. But it is really important for us that we talk about folks from all kinds of voices all the time throughout the year. So that is definitely a commitment that we have for you. It's also important to acknowledge that when people say Asian, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't tell you anything at all about what it actually is, because there are many, many, many different groups that are being lumped together in a big giant umbrella term called Asian. And they all have different culture, different language, different history, different background. And so terms like that can be helpful sometimes in the book world. It can help highlight books you know, and highlight these voices that are not being prominently featured usually, but it could also be very harmful because when you don't look at how the author identify themselves and what the book actually is about and you just lump it, say it's Asian, it really doesn't help and it doesn't tell you what it is. I really like what Ken Liu said. There was an NPR article that kind of asked different authors what they think when your book is being described as Asian-inspired fantasy. Many different opinions about it. Sometimes they find that it's helpful because then more readers discover their book. But as Candu pointed out, it is also a term being used to emphasize and to signal okay, well, it's not American, it's the other thing. And that can be really harmful because, as he pointed out, he writes American fantasy. His fantasies are American, it might draw on East Asian mythology but it's definitely American commenting on the current American society. So for people in the diaspora, it is really tough sometimes to have certain labels attached to their books. Um, So it is just important for us to recognize that. Anyway, we have some really great books. You know, there are three of us here. We are hoping to bring books from different offers to you today, but there are only three of us. So uh, please do check out our social media this month. Um, We're highlighting a book a day from all different kinds of authors, all different kinds of countries. So please do check that out um, so that you can get other recommendations. Why don't we get started with Miss Corrine?
2: Thank you, Virginia. Um, So one is truly spoiled for choice when you are given such a huge, huge topic to pick a book from. So I decided to pick something that was a little bit more backlist, but had been kind of sitting on the back burner for a long time, actually since 2015, that when it came out, uh, it came out to rave reviews. I remember seeing it on all the best of lists and I was going to get around to it, but then I realized it was short stories that I kind of hate. And so I kind of put it to the bottom of my pile. And then when this topic came up, I thought it was a really good uh, chance to kind of go through that to be read pile and highlight a book that might be a little bit older, but still Still sparkles as you were. Although I was devastated to learn that to date this has been the author's only work, and I feel like they should write a million books and win all the prizes. So the book that I have chosen to highlight is In the Country Stories by Mia Alvar. And in an interview, kind of describing what links these stories together, what what this collection as a whole kind of represents, is that people are so much more than their job title, their nationality, the place they are born in, or currently living in. All of these stories are not all of them, except for one. Sorry, I forgot about that one, which is loosely based on Claire Danes. <laughs> I know it all ties in. It all ties in. The majority of these stories feature around the Filipino diaspora. So Filipinos from every walk of life, there are exiles, immigrants, um, those who stayed, those who returned, those who were left behind, and those who endure. Each of these gems of a short story, you kind of are taken into their particular place, their particular world. And through her fantastic prose, you're kind of lulled into what a sense of what the story is going to be and what the narrative is going to be and what people really are. And then at the last moment, she twists that knife and everything is turned on its head. There are a wealth of stories inside of this collection that Alvar has written. She was born in Manila, grew up in both Bahrain and New York City. And again, this collection is very much a world tour of of different places, because as she says, like the we tend to think of immigration in in one way but there have been many different immigrations happening over history and those of people from the philippines going to other countries and she especially concerns herself with um, people from the philippines going to the middle east to work Oh, where to start? I think some of my favorite stories in the collection was the story of Contrabida, which is the story of a young man who um, has left his, his parents and their tumultuous marriage behind in the Philippines, has gone to New York City to kind of remake himself separate from the trauma that he suffered in the past under his his domineering father. However, when his father is ill and when he hears of this, that he's, he's kind of on his final days, the son who is a pharmacist decides to smuggle some pain relief drugs at great personal danger and expense Back home to help his fathers in his final day and assist his mother, who he's always kind of seen as this gentle, self effacing, almost kind of like a one dimensional carer figure, and only to discover upon his return that his mother, who he thought he knew who she was, is not who she is indeed. In fact, there is a wonderful line from one of the stories that the quietest, most docile worker could, behind her apron, be sharpening her blade. This story really does focus on the idea that we see a lot of people for a variety of reasons as one dimensional. We put a label onto them because of what they do for a living. And we don't really dig a lot deeper than that. And what Alvar is really encouraging us to do through these sharp, cutting, incisive stories is to, again, see beyond that job title, see beyond that nationality, the place that they were born in or that they're currently living in and see the person underneath. If you are... looking for some really amazing, engaging short stories. Again, as not a short story reader, I didn't think that I would enjoy these as much, but as soon as I sat down to read one, they are like delicious Lay's potato chips in that you can't stop at just one. You're going to keep reading all the stories, like the story of the doctor who you think is such a saint and he's so kind and helps the people in the ravine, but underneath he's got some secret secrets and a deep guilt. Or the story about the uh, the girl who her brother has gone to North America to work, and she is in the Philippines, and she really wants to be a writer, but realizes that all these amazing stories that she wants to write about are actually happening to her sibling that is far away. <sighs> They're so good. If you're not a short story person, if you're looking for just a writer who lulls you into a, a, a false sense of security about what you think you're reading about and then just kind of whams you to the side uh, with something that you will be chewing on for days and days and days. There are stories in this collection that I'm going to be thinking about for weeks. I woke up thinking about them. I was thinking them on the SkyTrain. I was thinking of them when I came to work then you should definitely pick up this amazing amazing collection sadly again the author's only work i can only hope that she's she's kind of percolating something for the future is the collection in the country stories by mia alvar
1: thank you miss so that sounds great see short stories can be good right Yeah. same thing I'm like getting getting to learn to love short stories so definitely an art to read them too I think it requires different brain cells
2: it does it definitely requires a different part of the brain because I can't let myself be as attached to the characters as I really want to be um, because again any one of the collections in this any one of the stories in this collection would have made a great book I would argue, if they had been longer. But again, she was really committed to, like in the interviews that I read, committed to them being short stories because that is how she wanted to tell them. And I respect that. Still
1: would love a novel. (laughs) But I love how short stories, they really give you, I find it even a better sense of who the author is because they get to try out different styles sometimes or different like but there's still this underlying voice from the author and I find that that really stands out and I I feel like I get to know them a bit more sometimes
0: and if you said some of the point from the author was that you don't want to necessarily judge someone based on the very short like the these descriptors I think that we, we often use, then a short story is also good because all you have really is that first impression. Like you don't get to spend that much time with a character. And so I think it it makes sense for the way that you were talking about her process that maybe this is one of those things where you can realize it, it's just enough time to sort of give you a concept and then take it and spin it on its head. So
2: it, it does kind of show like how much of a, virtuoso she is because she she tries out a bunch of different formats like one of them is almost like a murder mystery well sorry to give that away but like a murder mystery one of them is almost kind of like a a, a fable one of them is told in like a collective third person one of them is told in second person you know that that you 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 so in in many ways, as you say, Virginia, like you're really getting to know the power of this writing by the the difference and diversity of the way that they tell their stories. And it, it is impressive. So yes, there is a point to short stories. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should just end this episode there. There is a point to short story. That's what Corrine said. All right. Gabriel, do you want to go next?
0: Yeah, sure. All right. So for our Asian Heritage Month episode, I chose... Darius the Great is Not Okay by Adib Karam. And this is a young adult novel that was published in 2018. And it has since been followed by a sequel novel, Darius the Great Deserves Better, which I would agree that even in this book, Darius the Great deserves much better than a lot of the circumstances that he has. So it's not okay. He deserves better. If he decides to continue the series, maybe Darius the Great will finally We'll finally get some peace in this kid's life. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Adeeb Karam, the author. In 2019, Darius the Great won the Morris Award, which was, is given by the Young Adult Library Services Association to celebrate first-time young adult authors. In addition to the Darius the Great series, he also has a new book that actually just came out, I believe, in March. And this is one that when I was reading the description of it, I was like, wow, kind of wish I knew about this one when I was considering which book I was going to read, but I was already, I had already read it. So I knew what I was doing, but I thought might appeal to Kareem, actually. So this is a little bit of a spoiler for the series in general and uh, Karam's works in general, but Darius, the character is queer. This first book doesn't really go too much into that aspect, not compared to the second book in which Darius actually has a boyfriend and stuff like that. If you want more from the author, Karam recently published one called Kiss and Tow, which is another young adult book about the only gay member of a boy band struggling with queerness while being in the spotlight and sort of all of the things that society puts on people when when they're sort of tokenized and having to represent uh, a lot of things that maybe they don't like actually associate with, that they don't uh, particularly feel or don't want to have to be the person who all other people will be judged by. And so it's about this character sort of learning that Adib Karam is an Iranian American. So his father is Iranian and his mother is American. In in Kiss and Tell, this other book that he's written, the main character is white, but he has, I believe the other members of the band, they aren't all. And so it's sort of also a conversation of like identity politics and the different ways that people are meant to represent whole groups of people when they are just one person. And so it has a lot of really interesting aspects on top of it being a boy band novel, and really is supposed to be a love letter to boy bands. On top of narrative, there's fictional interviews, there's think pieces about the boy band, uh, there's fan fiction in it, all of that kind of stuff. And so it tries to take on like, I think a, a very mixed media approach. So that's something that to keep your eye on for anybody out there. If Darius the Great is not okay, sounds like the sort of story that you would be interested in. That I think this author is now he's he's going on to to do a lot of things that I tend to like. That tend to like maybe take a more holistic approach to stories and maybe a little bit less of the traditional narrative structure. Um, or that might be the only book in which he does it, but that's the new one that came out. And so it seems really interesting. Getting back to Darius Kellner. So Darius is also, like the author, a mixed-race American teen. He was born to a Persian mother and a white father, and he's found that he's never really fit in. Not at home, not at school. He's fat, he's a Star Trek nerd, he hates sports, he understands very little Farsi, and he would rather learn everything there is to know about tea then try to stand up to the bullies from his school he feels disconnected from his mother's side of the family because he can barely understand them which is particularly isolating because his mother decided to speak to his younger sister uh, Lale, in Farsi and so he doesn't share this this aspect of his own culture with his mother and he doesn't even share it with his little sister during the video calls that they have uh, with his grandparents who are back in Iran, he's quickly left in the dust, just kind of nodding along, trying to follow as best he can. And while you think that means he could bond with his father, who does also does not speak Farsi, it really means that they just stay quiet and awkward, even with each other. Darius and his father, they really don't get along. I found it a really interesting relationship to read about because. I would say it's a fulfilling arc depending on how you see maybe narratives about the intergenerational effects of mental illness and where the responsibilities for certain aspects of relationships should lie between parent and child, and the, where that intersects maybe with your own beliefs or experiences. This may or may not be a plotline that you find as interesting as I did, but Darius and his father, they have sort of a rocky relationship. He thinks that. To stop being bullied, Darius should stop making himself a target. Darius should cut his hair. Darius should stand up for himself. He should tell off his classmates for picking on him. And the only time that the two seem to be able to find a sense of harmony is when they're watching Star Trek. So they've been through every episode of every series multiple times. And it doesn't matter. Every night, they sit down together. They watch an episode. And that's their time together. And Darius kind of wishes it could be like that more often, because that's that's really just an equilibrium that he doesn't find in a lot of other aspects of his life. Darius struggles very prevalently with depression. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it that it completely takes over his life, but it's it's present throughout the narrative. He he struggles with depression. He often feels he isn't good enough for anyone, least of all his father. They do have like a heart to heart towards the end of the book that kind of impacts some of that and explains again how when you have a parent who's struggling, mental illness can also have very, very strong intergenerational effects. Interestingly, even though this sounds very <laughs> this sounds very heavy, despite a lot of the adult themes, I'd actually say that this book kind of strays towards like the young side of young adult literature. Like you could probably give this to a 13-year-old and they would be fine. Serious topics. But they're not necessarily dealt with in a way that's overly bleak, like a lot of the notions that Darius kind of has about himself. The whole point of the novel really is that they get turned on their head and he sort of starts to develop a lot of understanding and hope. It has its tearjerker moments, but yeah, so Darius has a complicated relationship with his whole family and it only gets more complicated when his babu falls terminally ill and the family has to go to Iran to be with him. So they celebrate Persian New Year together. He learns to play card games, tries to socialize, but very quickly it just kind of becomes too much for him. While he's there and feeling a little bit lost, he meets Sarab, who's a boy who would quickly become his closest friend. He's just what Darius needs, someone who has his back, someone who cares about him, despite all the flaws that Darius can kind of see inside himself. And Darius starts to gain confidence the trick is going to be bringing all of this confidence back to America when he has to leave his best friend behind. And so a lot of this book deals with Darius's own self-image very, very much a coming of age novel for a very particular audience. Not that other people couldn't, I mean, obviously like I also enjoyed it, despite not coming from the same background, but it is one where you're sort of questioning why this character feels so out of place and if it's fair that he feels like this. And I guess the, the answer is probably usually going to be it's not fair that he feels like this, but it's him kind of coming to realize that. And and the relationship between him and his friend in particular, I think, is what drives a lot of this one. There's some great scenes where they're sitting on the skyline. They play a lot of football as in soccer, not as in American football. And they have some really interesting conversations, I would say about the nature of being Persian, the nature of being American and being something in between. And so it's not really romance. They, These two characters, okay, this is kind of a spoiler. They don't end up together like that. That's not where um, Darius's queerness comes into play. It, it's just, um, yeah, it's just a little bit of a coming of age with his friend, with his family, with society as a whole. So that's Darius the Great is Not Okay. And I would recommend it. I would say that uh, depending on how easily you cry to potentially have some tissues around. But I would say that it was a really good one. Really good coming of age novel.
1: Thank you, Gabriel, for telling us about your book. So, yeah, uh, I will talk about my book. But before I do that, I did have a question If you had a chance to go visit Asia, or maybe you already have, where would you like to go?
0: So I haven't been able to visit Asia yet, but it's definitely one of those things on my bucket list. I think I don't have super strong opinions about where I'd want to go for a couple different reasons. I think one thing would just be that if I were to go... I probably wouldn't go alone. Like I like to travel with other people. And I think if the other person had stronger feelings about where to go, I would be down with that. It's just one of those things that like, yeah, when it comes to travel, I think if someone has really, has like a really emotional attachment to some place, then that would be really cool. And I know I have plenty of friends who would like have specific places in mind. And so I'm kind of in the back of my mind thinking Mm -hmm. like, if I end up going, it's probably going to be with one of them. Thailand would be really cool because it's, it's such a beautiful country, a lot of them are. But I think if I were to just pick, and this is one of those ones where it's like saying Asia is so broad, so broad for what constitutes as Asia. Mm-hmm. And even pick picking my book, I had to double check. I had to actively go in and be mm-hmm. like, does Iran count as Asia? Mm-hmm. Um According to Google, it does. Yes. So, but actually, thinking about those places that in in my head almost consider more the Middle East. I grew up with Assassin's Creed. and so there's a lot of places <laughs> that, okay. while I don't necessarily think I would really want to visit them right now because of geopolitical context mm-hmm. that's going on, I spent formative years running around a digitized version of Jerusalem and uh, Damascus, I think is the big city in the first Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. Damascus and Jerusalem and or Acre or Acre or somewhere in that area. And so there is a part of me that kind of wants to go there despite the fact that I think right now is not the time for me yeah. to go, yeah. but maybe eventually.
1: Yeah, climb all the way up and then jump all the way down. Oh yeah, where's
0: the hay bales? <laughs> oh, exactly. Let's go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I think the first one is definitely my favorite, even though it's, it's really fun to see all the other places at the mm-hmm. end of being but i think the first one still is just like maybe the novelty of it right like just like oh this is like something new so yeah
0: exactly uh,
1: yeah i don't i don't i'm I, other people know i i don't really like to travel it's not my thing <laughs> um but i i mean like i kind of have to go back to japan i feel like that would be you know because there's the new ghibli theme park that i need to go to yeah like because i i went to the museum when it was um yeah, just a museum, but they're opening the theme park this the end of this year, I think. That's where I would like to go. Spend a lot of time at that gift shop. <laughs> <a lot> of- <laughs> <laughs> like, my friends were just like, okay, are you done yet? I'm like, no, but look at this, look at that. There was just, yeah, yeah. So I need to go get more Totoro stuff. Yeah, oh.
0: I think I have a feeling Japan is also one of those destinations that has a lot of events going on. And so, uh, or a lot of events that I hear about that sort of like make it into my circle, and so I feel like Japan is also a good one because it'd be like, not even necessarily like a concert, but something like a like yeah. a Ghibli or something like that. Yeah. Like, there's specific things that might be going on. Yeah. That, you, that could pull you in. Yeah. Not that there isn't in other places. I just don't hear of them as much.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I also feel like it's one of those places. Like, you know, you can sort of spend a whole year there, and you wouldn't even like be able to like scratch the surface because there's just so much. And I just. Because I remember one of my favorite thing when I was there was just even just walking down like a random street. It just got that feeling. Mm -hmm. It's like, you feel like, oh, you know, like, it's like, this is the street that you see in your anime. You know, it just feels like, you know, (laughs) right? Just want to be there. Just want to be there. Anyway. All right. Um, Well, thank you for sharing. I will talk about my book, which may or may not have video games involved in there. Just for you. Just picking this just for you. (laughs) (laughs) For today, I have two companion novella to recommend, and they are both from Tor.com, one of my favorite publisher because they do a lot of science fiction, fantasy novella, and they're always very creative. Like I love their novellas here. So the first book, uh, and they're compa- companion novels, so you don't have to read them in order at all. You can, depending on which kind of concept appeals to you more, um, you can. Pick the one to start with. So the first one is the Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday. And the second one, which hasn't arrived at the library yet, but it came out in March and it is Kundo Wakes Up. And they're both by Saad Hossein, uh, who is a Bangladeshi author. And these are definitely for people who enjoy genre mashup. And I would say... These are probably cyberpunk with urban fantasy filled with lots of gods and mythological characters in them. Both of them are set in future Bangladesh. Uh, so in that world, the you know, climate change has happened. There's lots of environmental disasters. The air is deadly for humans. So what they figured out to keep ourselves alive is to have nanotech inside us that can help create these other particles to counteract all the bad ones in the air. And to do that, you have to have enough human bodies in a certain specific area. And how many bodies is the right amount of bodies? They have done some experimentations and some very bad stuff happened in order to figure out, but they have kind of finally figured out this is how many bodies we need to be able to create a microclimate that is livable. And not only do we have this very polluted world, we also have uh, ai control countries. So all the countries are run by AI, and the biggest one in Bangladesh is karma. And karma will control not just regulate all the living conditions. It also makes sure that everybody is where they are supposed to be. So you're monitored all the time. And instead of money, instead of currency, you get points. Points that are awarded to you by Karma based on their complicated algorithms to decide your actions, whether they are more helpful or more harmful to the society in general, and so you get positive points or you get negative points based on that. But Karma, of course, is an AI, so it doesn't have any feelings. So it basically judge everything based on their calculations. But that doesn't mean that everything is being done fairly. That doesn't mean that everybody is now has what they need. There are definitely still pockets of people that are being left behind, that they have no resources at all, even in this AI control world. Not only that, each person has an echo in their brain, which hooked them up to the virtual world. And you also have a PMD, a personal medical device that heals you, give you a hurt. So people don't really get sick. But again, that doesn't really make life better for everyone. There is still definitely a disparity. If that world kind of sounds interesting, I would recommend starting with um, The Burker and the Lord of Tuesday, which came out first. And also another book that he has a fooling novel called Cybermage. Uh, both of them dives a lot into that world. In this first book here, it is a djinn who has woken up after being imprisoned for a while, being tricked into going into this cave. But he has woken up, and now he's ready to conquer the world. He's like, okay, what city is nearby so that I can go, like, flatten it? You know, who is the king that I have to go fight? And he was informed by a human that, well, the world has actually changed quite a bit since the last time you were in it, you are awake in it. And that we have uh, now this AI that runs the world. And so he is guided, maybe tricked, by this human who has his own agenda to fight against karma, the AI. So that's the first book. And it gives you a really good description of sort of the world that they live in. But I'm going to talk about the other book, which is Kundo Wakes Up. That one I find equally interesting. I'm not going to say more interesting, but equally interesting. And it started off with more kind of a a mystery in some way, uh, set in this fantasy science fiction kind of world. And it's about Kundo. Kundo is a painter. He was fairly well known, but it has been a while since he's painted. In fact, it's been a while since he's done really anything because he is getting over his wife disappearing. Wife disappeared a few years ago and he doesn't know why he doesn't know where other people believe that his wife probably just left him But he doesn't think so. He thinks that his wife wouldn't just do that. And he's still trying to figure out what happened. But he's been quite depressed. So he wasn't really able to get himself to do anything about this until now. And so he finally decided, you know, I'm going to contact my friend again. He has actually hired a hacker to try to track down where his wife is. And at one point, that hacker has said, oh, I have some updates for you. He was too deep in depression and he couldn't quite make himself do anything. So he has never actually followed up. But now he's ready. He's ready to find out what happened to his wife. The hacker, when he tried to contact him, he didn't respond. So he figured he would go and see if he can find him at home. But the hacker wasn't home either. Instead, he came across his neighbor, Farah. Turns out that the hacker has quite an obsession with his neighbor. So everything in his house is actually key to her bio signature. So lucky for Kundo, Farah was able to open everything. And as they were trying to figure out what happened to the hacker, Hassam, and trying to figure out like what happened to the wife, both of them seemed just sort of disappeared into thin air. Kundo start going down this rabbit hole. And he discovered that there are other people who have also disappeared. And all of them seems to be gamers. And they all play this game, the massive online game, Final Fantasy 9000, which Gabriel, for your information, it is supposed to be Final Fantasy plus Red Dead Redemption plus Grand Theft Auto. So I'll let you combine those together and figure out what this game actually is like. But Final Fantasy 9000 is the game that they all play and something has happened to all of them. And as Kundo digs deeper, there's a rumor that within this Final Fantasy game, there is a secret game hiding inside called the Black Road. And every one of these gamers who have heard of this game is trying to get into this secret game. You have to level up, of course, you have to beat it in a certain way to be able to enter this other secret game. And Kundo believes that that's where his wife went, that's probably where her Sam has went. And so He wanted to find out what happened. And to do that, he would have to find a way to beat the game. He doesn't play games. So he has to try to convince Farah to help. In addition to Farah, there's also a wash-up criminal mastermind that he is going to pair up with and also a coder. And together, this ragtag crew is going to try to find a way to figure out what happened to all these people who have disappeared. But first they have to convince Farah, who is the only gamer among the group, to get into the gaming chair. A gaming chair that is shaped like a centipede. Oh wait, it is not shaped like a centipede. It is actually a centipede because this centipede, the gaming chair, is going to be able to help them immerse into this world and it's going to give them an advantage to make sure that they can get through parts of the game in order to reach the black road. That is the premise of Kundo Wakes Up. I love these two books a lot because Saab Seth Hussein, the author, has such an interesting way in tackling technology and, and how he sees technology changing the world and how we as humans deal with it. But maybe not just humans, also the gods or the jinns, they have to figure out, well, now what is the place of magic? Because when you look at these technologies, a lot of them seems like magic. When humans can heal in like 30 minutes, even they get hurt if they have unlimited supplies of food because they're all produced by machines, What is the place of gods? What is the place of magic? And so Hossein kind of tackled that in in both of the books. Um, He's also really good at writing larger-than-life characters. Um, He's super funny, and his bantering is just perfect. Like I love seeing the the group dynamics in this crew, especially in Kundo Wakes Up not just because he's funny, he's also really good at writing the more tender moments because all the people in Kundo wakes up, they are all the people that society has sort of forgotten and all of them have good days, but they also have really bad days and they're all all trying to pull themselves together, trying to even just get out of bed is hard. Kundo has depression, Farrah is a single mother with a newborn baby that's, you know, abandoned by her husband. The criminal mastermind has early stage of Alzheimer's and the coder also has a drug addiction so all of them have sort of been cast off by society and they're all trying to get themselves together so that they can figure out what happens to all the people that they know that have disappeared and it's also got a really really good ending so I, I really like these novella novella sometimes it's hard to develop a world in such a f- like fully formed world and I think the author did a really really good job in this And just the way he described things, like he was talking about how Kundo does not believe that his wife has just left him because Kundo loves curry because all the food has been like machine produced. So you don't really get real food anymore, but there is a food cart that is there next to his house and Kundo loves going down there to have the curry that is made by a real person. But his wife hates curry. His wife hates the smell of it. But she would still go down with him and she will stand far away but watch him through binoculars so that she could be there with him in some ways and communicate through their little, like, echo. Um, so it's just, like, it's just little details like that that I find, like, really, really endearing. And I just love the way he does all the characters. And I love this found family. So, yeah, so if you are into sort of, like, a good mashup, you know, a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy, fantasy with lots of really, really fun mythological elements and you love a good found family, then I would highly recommend these two books, The Gurkha and The Lord of Tuesday and Kundo Wakes Up.
0: Kundo Wakes Up was immediately put on my hold list. <laughs> I will be reading that as soon as it comes in because <laughs> that sounded like a dream come true. <laughs> that sounded so good.
1: <laughs> oh, and uh-huh. Chocobo this chocobo reference okay
0: so important so good i would buy that i would probably go down the road and you'd never see me again but i would buy the game so
1: right that sounds like i i yeah i can't even picture but that sounds like a game no wonder they're all in it
0: yes and they
1: can't stop playing
0: i don't know if i could do the centipede chair that might be where i draw the line
1: yeah yeah because yeah. they describe all the cilia from the centipede and it goes into you so that you can be really really immersive <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> did i not mention that earlier okay yeah maybe not the centipede chair so you just have to work harder at it at the game i think the centerpiece yeah. chair help but
0: it probably doesn't help that i type with two fingers max on each hand so mm. I, I might need the centipede chair yeah, the the <laughs> <All the laughs> because extra. otherwise it's a very much like a, <laughs> other people learn how to type properly and I type like a grandpa, but that's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us again for another episode. Um, we will see you all next week.
2: Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional!